All right, everybody, Dave Putz here from JKP Holdings tonight. We're talking about seller finance notes, buying them, finding them, the issues, the problems, the successes, and that angle of buying notes. Um, we've been in institutional notes for over 10 years now, and this space is new to me. So I'm going to learn alongside everyone else here. So I'm glad to be joined with a bunch of awesome people. Um, some great pre, pre webinar talk was going on here, and I think it's going to be a really fun uh, sunny night. Uh, I please apologize with the football going on that we were pre-talking about before. Um, and we'll do our best to keep, I'm gonna keep to the, the point that we're looking for. But the education here, please do your best. Just tune in, ask questions. I'll keep the chat open. I'll kind of moderate. But I'm going to let these guys talk about what they know best. So I'm going to start with Tracy, go to Gabe, Jeff, and then go to Abby. Tracy, can you share who you are, what you've been doing, and all the good stuff about yourself? Absolutely. Well, welcome everybody. Right now I'm crying a little bit because we're big Packer fans. So ouch. Anyways, but yeah. So uh, Fred and I were laughing because uh, when I met my husband, he he's also in the note business and uh, he was a Packer fan. So it's kind of like, you got to be a Packer fan if you're in this family. So, you know, we've been married now 23 years and we only had two quarterbacks the whole time. It's crazy, <laughs> right? So it's enough football talk. So as faithful as I have been to the Packers, I have also been faithful to the note business. So I've been a seller finance note buyer since 1988. Uh, so a few years. And the first 10 years, I purchased notes for what we called an institutional investor. So they would buy seller financed paper and they'd hold a lot of it. And then they ended up actually securitizing some of it and turning it into mortgage-backed securities. And then about 1997, after I learned so much from them, I decided that I wanted to make some of that money for myself and not for another company. And I went out on my own and have been buying and selling notes since then. We like to buy them in our self-directed retirement account and we still refer some notes. So we'll sometimes make the income as well. Uh, so just each note kind of has its own home, whether it's a immediate profit or a long-term profit. And seller finance notes are, are different, definitely. Uh, we tend to focus on first position performing. Uh, we leave the non-performing and the seconds to other people. I've dabbled in them over the years, but every time I do, I think I should get back in my lane. Uh, so <laughs> I like the seller finance note paper. I'm excited to be here. And I'm, I've got some other great panelists that you know I know love the seller finance notes as well. Thank you, Tracy. Gabe, can you share it by yourself? Hi, my name's Gabe Cass. I'm the portfolio manager at Surf City Investors based in Huntington Beach, California. And for the past five and a half years, we've specialized in acquiring and managing non-performing notes, primarily junior liens. And for the last three or so years, we've specialized in acquiring and managing non-performing junior liens that are seller financed or private money loans here in California. Interesting. Jeff, can you share about your background and uh, what your involvement with self seller finance notes is? Sure, so my background, I worked for over a decade in institutional investment management, primarily fixed income as an analyst. Cool. So when, and then I worked for a bank for a few years and then I discovered notes and I eventually transitioned into a full-time note investor uh, five and a half years ago. Congratulations, amazing. Thank you, Gabe, appreciate it. Jeff, how about yourself? Sure, hey, uh, hi guys. Uh, thanks for spending your Sunday night here. Uh, hopefully this will be done at seven. I got a dinner date, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's six o'clock here in Arizona. I'm in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. 
I've been in uh, seller finance notes, first position performing seller finance notes since May of 1991. May of this year will be my 30th year doing just that. And uh, awesome. uh, Tracy and I met uh, in that, probably in that year, 91, 92. I as, think so, yeah. With that institutional investor. And, and uh, it, it's been a long road. A lot of people come and go in this business. And, and uh, you know, I knock on wood. I'm so grateful I found it when I did. Uh, but I've been doing this now 30 years. I've been in real estate for 37 years. And, and uh, there's nothing like notes. I, I don't do anything else besides uh, notes. Uh, after 30 years now, uh, I still do a, a ton of marketing for notes by myself. And uh, I think this year we're going to hit closed 2,300 individual transactions, wow. um, brokered most of them, uh, by probably one out of five, by, by about 20% for myself, my self-directed IRA, my daughter's self-directed IRAs, and, and uh, a few investors that I have. But uh, uh, it, it's... Uh, it's a great business. It's just, uh, you got to figure it out. And the way to figure it out is marketing what we're talking about tonight. So, yeah. um, yeah, this should be a, a fun discussion. Great. Is that enough? <laughs> Good job, Jeff. You guys know I can keep going. <laughs> Abby, can yes. you share with everyone who you are and what you've done with Summer Finance Notes? Absolutely. My name is Abby Shemish and I, um, own a company called Amerinote Exchange. We are a, uh, a first position. We are a note buyer and we, uh, purchase. I, uh, our, our main operations occur within the seller finance space of the discounted loan industry. So we typically focus on, as the rest of the panel had mentioned, first position performing is uh, definitely our, our primary focus. Uh, we do dabble in all types of performance levels of uh, assets, including uh, sub-performing, non-performing, re-performing. Um, we will also deal in uh, seconds, although those usually do get wholesaled or traded off. Um, and it really, as Tracy and Jeff and Gabe have pointed out, it, it really boils down to uh, strategy for us. So, you know, what comes and what goes. But just to uh, clarify, I was uh, started my career in loan acquisition, or excuse me, loan originations in uh, with a company called IBG Financial and outside of the Philadelphia area, uh, which led to my many um, incarnations through the origination realm. And then in uh, 2006, got into the uh, loan acquisition side or the secondary mortgage market. Um, and, and really, uh, as Jeff had mentioned, and what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, exploited a lot of the, um, the, the areas that weren't being ex exploited in that industry at that time. So, uh, you know, that's how we really roared into it, um, coming from a marketing background, uh, as well, dabbling in um, internet and affiliate marketing uh, between originations and loan acquisitions. So we kind of brought all of our um, assets to bear, if you would, uh, once we got to the secondary uh, seller finance note market. So that's been our, uh, our journey. And here we are, hopefully to answer some questions and, and all learn something together tonight. I'm amazed, guys. This is awesome. I'm looking forward to learning this stuff. It's something I'm not used to. So um, for a lot of the callers on here, I'm going to be asking questions, hopefully, that you're thinking about at the same time. Um, being in an institutional world, having paper that's originated by a mom and pop shop is just strange to us, right? Um, it's scary at times. It's somewhat similar to those people getting into notes in general. It's a different world. It's like the Wild West. So uh, let's just jump right in here. And, you know, Tracy, 
when you're going to find assets, are you buying lists? Are you marketing? Are you, where are you typically going? We've, we've thought about some, some ideas of like local finance guy and attorneys and insurance and brokers. Where do you typically find the, the assets or what do you do for marketing to find those assets? Well, there are five, in my mind, primary places that you can find notes. You can use direct mail where you are buying a list of seller finance note holders. And remember, it's about less than 6% of all residential real estate transactions involve some sort of seller financing. So you've really got to hone in your marketing or you're just going to do shotgun and not target and really waste a lot of time and money. So mm. I think that's the first place I like to come from when you start talking about marketing. Um, and so the direct mail is one. Uh, we do some reverse ad marketing where we talk to people that are advertising that they sell properties with owner financing. Uh, our favorite is referral and networking because you can establish relationships with professionals in real estate that come in contact with seller financing. And then there's, you know, building your brand and there's, you know, there's ads. It used to be old school ads. Some of that works a little bit, but more now it's ads on the internet, right? Pay-per-click. Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at those as the main marketing areas. We've used them all over the years. We tend to do more network and referrals now just because we've been at it a while and, you know, we don't have to re do the grind of direct mail. I know Jeff still does a ton of direct <laughs> mail. And so I'll, I'll definitely let him weigh on it, in on that. But that's what we see as the five main avenues of finding notes. And so we'll, we'll all talk to it. I'm sure more here. I do yeah. want to say that, think about it, the, that just to set the framework is about, we track these numbers every year on our noteinvestor.com site, about 23.9 billion with a B was the number seller finance notes picked up on county recording. So there's others out there that aren't recorded like unrecorded land contracts and that's like first position over 30,000 so there's more that if you count seconds and there's more if you count smaller notes but if you look at the we're talking the marketable notes so we're talking about a hundred billion with the B created in the last five years so it's not as huge as some of the other market but mm -hmm. it's definitely a sizable market it's just targeting your marketing to find that market so are you talking about you're buying notes or CFDs or both we do both Okay. Gabe, can you share a little bit what your techniques have been? Are you buying lists? Are you going to a broker? Sure. So we've been direct marketing primarily for three years here in California for junior liens that are originated by private parties. So we spend extensive time data mining and scrubbing the uh, recorder's records and buying lists trying to find and contact these private note holders. And we spend most of the time on marketing and following up. And that's how we've acquired most of the private notes over the last three years. Um, it's a very, you know, sometimes painful and time consuming process. And I have an assistant who helps me with this process 30 hours a week also. So it's both of us working on it. I primarily handle the calls and she helps scrub the data. Uh, but it's a lot of following up, but the success stories sometimes are really great and they keep you going until you have the next one. So it's, it's pretty difficult. We're going to get into that whole idea of, you know, that the, the, the energy that you need to do once you get a loan that possibly you can buy, because just getting the, the marketing started and then just getting the, the note seller to say, I'm interested is just the beginning. We're going to get into that in a few minutes because that's a new right. world. On, on average, how what would you say your response rate is on your marketing? On I don't know how many you're seeing out a year or so, but what's your response right. rate? 
Um, well, I've sent out about 19,000 pieces of mail over the last three years. And we've had about 2% call. Okay. And, th and then we've closed maybe 10% of those 2%. So 0.2%. <laughs> so that, that's been about the number. And we're targeting uh, junior lien holders. So it's a, gotcha. it's a little different than, than what the other guys are doing. So you're but buying the marketing is, is somewhat similar. We're just using different criteria when we're figuring out who to mail to. Yeah. So you're buying lists. Jeff, what's your strategy of finding the deal? <laughs> oh boy. Abby, Gabe, and Tracy, y'all know I can go for days and days on this. Um both Tracy and Gabe mentioned a couple of things. And, and uh, one thing Tracy said was that it's, a, that it's a needle in a haystack that we're looking for, seller finance note holders that are purchasable. And, and it's more than that. It's a needle in a needle stack. Uh, there, there's a lot of them out there. There's $100 billion worth of these notes out there. You know, um, a, a little guy like me can only do, I don't know, seven to 10 million a year, you know? So... So there's plenty of, of stuff out there, but we got to find them and we got to get them to respond. Um, Gabe mentioned something about follow-up. Okay, marketing aside for just a half a second, if you're not following up with these people after they contact you the first time, just because they don't say yes right away, doesn't mean you're not going to get a deal in the future. And too many people think you send out a letter and you get a deal. That's not the way it works. Marketing works, and, and Tracy said this already as well, with a targeted marketing plan, a, a program, a, a something that you go after and you're persistent for at least a year, if not more, to, to get your business started and to grow and survive your business, you got to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep following up. Uh, targeted marketing, uh, you know, it, there has to be uh, three to five lines in the water. This is how I, I teach it. This is how I talk about you got to be doing more than one thing. Right? You can't just rely on direct mail. You can't just rely on classified ads. You can't just rely on internet. You've got to have several lines in the water to catch those fish because some months will be better with one marketing method than, than others, right? Uh, direct mail for me is huge. Uh, I mean, um, I, I giggled a little bit, no offense, Gabe, but Gabe said he's mailed out 19,000. I, I probably mailed out close to a million pieces of mail in, in, in the last 10 years. And, and, but that's now in the beginning, it was 500 a month, right? Yeah. Way back yeah. in 91, when I started with, with this, but direct mail still is only about 45, 50% of the deals I close every year. So direct mail is huge for me. Yes, we buy lists, um, but the lists have to be, you have to target it to the right, correct thing as well. You can't just buy a list and there you're going to get a deal. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. Uh, it's a very targeted list. Uh, so direct mail, number one, uh, for me now, just like Tracy, after doing this for 30 years, uh, we got a decent referral network out there and we get, uh, you know, a good percentage of our, our closed transactions every year from building up that referral network for so many years. Uh, I still place classified ads in, in uh, papers, uh, printed ads in certain wow. targeted places uh, to get people to respond. Um, uh, I do play with the internet stuff. I am not the greatest at the internet. I have someone do it for me and we get a, we get enough out of the internet leads uh, for, to cover our expenses for the year and make a little profit. Okay. So that, that is not my forte. 
Um, we do uh, a lot of direct contact when we can. Uh, these days, it's, it's going to be these Zoom meetings from now on until we can have actual live events and things. But uh, that direct contact has been huge in building up that referral base uh, over the years. Um, you know, I, I, I've got resources out there that, that list, you know, I don't know, 70 or 100. I don't know how many are in that, that book. But um, there's lots of ways that you can get a deal. And you've got to figure out for yourself which of all those ways uh, is going to work for you. Just because Jeff is, you know, does great at direct mail doesn't mean you're going to. Just because Tracy does great with, with the internet doesn't mean you're going to. Just because uh, Gabe does, does good at what he does does not mean that it's going to work for you too. So all this stuff has to be tested out by each and every one of you to figure out what works for you. And um, it's got to be very targeted uh, to our specific First position, seller finance note, performing uh, as well. And just a side note, I I've dabbled in the non-performing. Definitely not for me. I I'd only do it in my state. Um, and uh, re-performing and, and sub-performing, we will look at some of that stuff as well. But the majority of it, you know, 85, 90% of what we're closing every year is those first position seller finance notes that we go after and target. So uh, that's kind of what I do. So we're in a lot about buying lists and stuff like that. I'm curious if anyone ever targeted like attorneys or insurance companies or, you know, maybe a local hard money lender kind of world. Um, Abby, what has been your typical technique or strategy? Um, well, yeah, all of this information, I'm just kind of digesting uh, the numbers that Jeff was kind of throwing out there as far as the mailers, <laughs> yeah. because I, the one area it's, you know, the one area that I do not operate in are the mailers. Everything uh, else is where I operate. Our focus is digital. So we uh, try to, uh, you know, our, our footing is organic Google search or other search engines, pay-per-click, social media. Um, we're really starting to incorporate AI into the process, artificial intelligence and chatbot uh so when we can you know free up the human to do stuff that makes money as opposed to uh directing traffic online because that becomes uh you know uh, an issue if you start these leads start pouring in you don't know what to do with them and and, and again to the point of the panelists here uh follow-up is everything it, it's everything i still have deals that i'm following up from 2015 2015 so that's five years. I'll, I'll kick it out six months, eight months. Uh, we just did a, a fee, a wholesale fee. It was one of the largest wholesale fees we've ever encountered from a follow. I shouldn't say just, but uh, within the past six months, it, uh, you know, from a follow-up. So I can't stress enough how follow-up is extremely important. And I, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong uh, to anyone out there, but if I'm not mistaken, when you send a mailer, you know, five to eight times, they need to see that mailer before they really start thawing out and figure, you know, depending on the mm -hmm. type of mailer and so forth. Um, it could very well be that way for a person who fills out a short form or a long form on your website. They have the intent of wanting to sell a note that you confirm that they own, and they still need five to 10 follow-up calls just to get a copy of the note. So it, it's, it's a lot of handholding. It's a lot of, uh, you know, relationship and nurturing. And uh, the other, speaking of nurturing, email, email lists. So for all of our opt-ins, uh, we do email lists. We also monetize, you know, for the for the folks that are not necessarily in the note business, but kind of on the periphery. 
we will we'll try to monetize the leads that we have coming in to make that some sort of cash flow, whether that monetization occurs through a product or another service uh, that we can uh, take an affiliate fee on or something to that effect. Uh, we've had uh, a little bit of success there and we're kind of building that out now. But um, all of these uh, methods, as Jeff had mentioned, are uh, not a one size fits all. And you know that was the area in which we operated prior to coming into the note space. So I was very comfortable there. Um, and it, it is like a 180 degree difference from what it was in 2007 uh, online in the note space. And I, I can, uh, and I know all the panelists here, I see heads nodding. And I, you know, one of our institutional investors uh, had mentioned to me in passing over the past, I don't know, nine months that, you know, when they had folks in our space, you know, wholesaling notes to them, they maybe had seven, 12 people in their system. As of November of 2020, it was 107 people in their system. So if that gives you any representation of how crowded the space is right now, you're not going, my recommendation is to go in through the back door. You want to take an asymmetrical approach to marketing. You're not going to throw a fist at a giant and, and think that you're going to win sometimes, but asymmetrical uh, motivation is, is the way to go here. I think that's I mean, an excellent point. To add yeah. to that, we tell people normally start out in your local market, get to be right. your local expert, and then branch out from there. So that's you Good know advice. to your point. Yeah. Add are you reaching out? Are you reaching out to any kind of like you know hard money lenders locally? Are you reaching out to insurance companies at all? Are you doing any kind of those kind of relationships, Tracy? Are you reaching out to? Well, hard money lenders aren't going to have hard money lenders aren't going to have seller finance notes. Correct, but they have these are, these are to people the that hard money lenders took money out of their pocket and gave it to someone, and they're not going to sell their note for a discount. That'd be a waste of time. Yeah, we buy at a discount, and I've found hard money lenders don't want to sell at a discount. Yeah. So I, I'd like to chime in on that. We actually just recently, uh, yeah, that's absolutely just to double down on what's being yeah. said. They don't sell at a discount, but I, I don't know if anyone else has saw this, but immediately after COVID, uh, uh, April 2020 the phones and the, the submission forms were lighting up with hard money lenders and uh, non-QM lenders. I don't know if anyone else was seeing this, but it was, yeah, <laughs> it was just, you know, watching, you know, the, 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 the uh, non-QM market collapse. Exactly. It, it was uh, something. So we actually wanted to fill. So real, we, quick, real quick pause, uh, just for everyone who's online, that's a non-qualified mortgage. So I beg people... your pardon. <laughs> just make it short. Yes. Non-qualified right. mortgages, which is another way of saying subprime, really, um, which is non-conforming or something that most banks wouldn't touch for whatever reason or another. But I will say that we had to fill, we're getting so many leads with these hard money letters, even now today, that we actually just found uh, a third party, a referral, if you would, that would take these uh, assets at par, which is highly unusual, but he's very specific to a certain area. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I heard someone mentioned insurance companies and, you know, these hard money lenders of contacting them through whoever's local to the market who's maybe selling stuff. But I was just curious if anyone's reached out to attorneys as well, who has their clients. I see Abby shaking said, Jeff, have you worked with anyone or even Gabe where maybe a attorney is a great resource yeah. to find assets? Absolutely. And, and you really got to clarify, it's not just any attorney, it's real estate attorneys, right? Real estate attorneys yeah. are the ones that, that can refer a lot of business to us if, if we make their clients happy. 
uh, it's really tough to just call up a real estate attorney and say, hey, I buy notes. Can you refer some to me? I mean, that's that's not really how it happens. Uh, the advantage to doing business for a long time is that we've closed so many transactions. We have worked with real estate attorneys across the country. And yes, now they then refer clients to us. Um, so that is a good contact, real estate attorneys. You mentioned hazard insurance. Don't get a lot of uh, referrals from hazard insurance uh, agents, um, but they are a contact. They are someone that would know of someone that's holding a note because on the loss payee form on the on hazard insurance declaration, uh, the, the mortgagee will be listed. And if the mortgagee is an individual's name, that's going to be a seller finance note. Um, so it, that that is an avenue to try to get some business as well. Uh, but very small percentage. Gabe, have you, what have you been, have you worked with any kind of odd person to buy a note from? Um, you know, we really focus on buying from individuals because we, we're buying the non-performing loans and we find the biggest discounts we can get are from individuals that have been holding non-performing loans for long periods of time. When we talk to brokers or attorneys, the pricing is just too high for what we're looking for. So we specialize in finding those note holders that no one has contacted in years. And they've, they've had this note in their office drawer and they've received no interest payments for the last eight years. Yeah. Those are the people that we specialize in finding and we get the best, the largest discounts buying directly from these individuals. So ours is, you know, it's very research intensive to find these people and contact them. But then the follow-up part is also very intensive. Some of our best notes we've ever bought took, you know, 15 to 20 touches from one lead before we finally closed with them. But in the end, it works out when you get an amazing note. I think that's a really important point. It's kind of like dating, you know, you're not going <laughs> to ask them to marry you on their first date. It's according. No, no. <laughs> don't work that way. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, um, a lot of uh, both Abby and Gabe mentioned a lot of touches and, and um, uh, direct mail, even in my direct mail program in, in two years, they, they get four pieces of direct mail. But if they have an email address, they'll probably get 24 emails, you know, an email a month, right? And they'll get a call every three to six months. Even if they don't want to sell yet, they might in the future. So those those 15 to 20 touches, just to get them to say yes, or just to just to get them to say, yes, I'm ready to sell, um, is an actual number, uh, is, is true. Uh, there is work involved here. It's not you get a call and you, and you cash a check anymore. Um, not that it ever really was, but um, uh, Gabe, are you just doing that in California? Just curious. Um, right now, we're still working on our California leads because we have you know, tens of thousands that we've dug up. But when we eventually run out, we will oh, you move won't. on to other states. <laughs> you won't. So a question, to, most of the time when you buy lists, and I see where you can find your lists at by Catherine, and I'll, Suri, I'll get to your question in a second. You're not getting email addresses on most of these lists. You actually have to do some kind of skip tracing or some kind of tool to obtain their email address. You're really just getting the property information. Would that be no, correct? Uh, when you get a list, there's a few list companies out there that, that are, are recommended. 
And that's the first question. People think if I, ha- if I know who that list company is, I'm going to get me a list. And I'm going to get me some deals. And, and you got to, before you even get the list, there's some work to do. There's some groundwork to lay before you get these lists. I see the question here. Where, where can you yeah. get the list? You know, it's like she's ready to go buy a list right now. But, but it's just a, a name and an address, right? And maybe some information about what they have, but not enough to, to really do anything other than, than send a letter. Um, uh, skip tracing can be done. You can, you can do things to try to find emails. We have found that maybe you can find 25% of them that might have an email, maybe. Um, maybe some of you guys have some other experience with that. But uh, the way that I get my email addresses is when they call me, I ask them, do you have an email address? <laughs> and, and you put them on a list, you know? Yeah. And then you start with that that process of, of contact. So, so but, uh, somebody asked about the insurance company. I want to make sure we get that. Can you question. ask? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. So can yeah. you ask, can the insurance company sell that information to us? No, they, re- they really can't. But if, if one of their clients that's holding a note and they're friendly with their client and their client says, hey, do you know anybody I can sell this note to? Oh, yeah, here, yeah. here's Jeff Armstrong, yeah. right? Gotcha. Yeah. Wow, okay. You learn something I, new. Every- yeah, that's my, that's my <laughs> whole point. Every time we talk, right? Abby, every time yeah. we talk. <laughs> I, you know, I, I assume it goes that way because we've done that with servicers, right? Servicers that say, listen, this guy's looking to sell a note. Can you, or even sellers are like, listen, I got this note. I'm on shit. Can you throw it my way? It's kind of a yeah. broker hand-washing thing. If I may um, say, if I'm, if yeah. there was a time where you could, and Jeff and uh, Tracy and Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, where you could reach out to servicers and say, hey, all the mailer, all your bills that you send out, can you put a, my card oh. in there, one of my marketing material? I don't think they do that anymore. I don't know, but um, I, I always felt that was a great thing. I don't know. You yeah. got to have an in, but it still happens. Yeah, wow. gotcha. Yeah, that's gotcha. awesome. And I, I don't, I know Tracy, you uh, or Jeff, I, I don't want to uh, forgive me if I'm missing something, but I personally know uh, and have saw because I own a copy of Jeff's book. Every marketing, <laughs> uh, how, how to do every marketing technique in the note. Every business. single marketing. God, I, don't, I can't remember right now. Every, <laughs> single, every, every single possible note marketing yeah. idea in the and world. It, it has almost. It has almost. everything. There's a plethora Except internet. of ideas. doesn't have internet well yeah right <laughs> but it was i mean just some of the yeah. uh some great stuff in there and i still have that uh book that i bought in you know 2009 <laughs> or something wow uh, yeah <laughs> and i know one of the struggles that i i look into this stuff right is you know when you get a list and it has a trust in it you know from an ira it's almost impossible to get a hold of that trustee the, the, the individual behind the trust for my knowledge you can forget that i think i mean that's, right? I, I i've had no luck i mean i don't i'm not the be all end all but yeah. it, it's very difficult you someone else may have some insight but i've never had any luck with that trustee the whole point of that trustee is for protection um but may i, I just want to jump back to the yeah. attorney and the question of a solicitation of uh services to receive leads i had a tremendous amount uh, we cast, as Tracy had mentioned, a wide net. So there's different types of digital nets that we put out there. We'll put a wide general net. We'll do a sniper targeted, you know, not shooting at a dartboard <laughs> with a blindfold on kind of thing, but really targeted stuff. And in some of our wide net uh, digital marketing, we receive a tremendous amount of executors of estates, liquidating estates. Um, not only uh, we're not we don't advertise that we buy distressed properties, but we buy distressed properties as well. And we, we picked up some really interesting finds. Uh, 
through these very long, lengthy and sometimes torturous process because you end up being in some of these cases, a, a family therapist uh, <laughs> trying to divvy up you know, for the feuding siblings, I see Jeff and Tracy yeah. and, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, 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 it's amazing. Uh, but that's a good it's a good lead source if you can figure out a way to market to that effectively. Second only to divorce liens. Oh, oh. Divorce liens. <laughs> True. Amazing. Yeah. It's just such a wild west. I mean, you know, Gabe's in a mix between, you know, institutional world and seller finance, like we're, you know, we're looking to go towards. But, you know, this whole thing of where you can get loans, I'm going to hedge funds buying them for 10 plus years. This is like the wild west. You're meeting the grandma, the grandpa. We're going to get into that issue of this duration of, you know, siblings buying it, you know, having a part and fighting over it and stuff like that. Um, Gabe, did, did you have any, you know, angles where you got something from, you know, somebody that was just a weird scenario where it's just, something just odd with it and you're able to make it out of from nothing to something. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. So we're willing to buy some of the hairier notes, which, which means uh, maybe the paperwork is not great or the pay history is not great. If the risk reward, if the uh, risk return potential is there, and we're paying a low price in exchange for how much risk we're taking from that note. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, we bought a non-performing third deed of trust with terrible paperwork, but because, because we were confident in the amount of equity covering the note, and the price we were paying was so extremely low, we're willing to take on that type of risk of having to even having to write off the note completely. So we bought a note, we bought a non-performing third here in California for five cents on the dollar. And then with bad paperwork, by the way. And we we eventually got a hold of the borrower and then and then modified their loan. And just the down payment on the mod was four or five times the amount we had paid for the note itself. And they're still paying today. You got to clean up your paperwork, I bet. <laughs> it's Some of the paperwork we see is really, really unbelievable. Yeah. And many of the leads that we get, the, the people that call us cannot find the note for the life of them. So we ask for other documentation, such as the HUD one, you know, the closing documents. And a lot of the time they can't find any documentation. <laughs> oh. so, so now in our, now in our letters and postcards that we send out, it says, please have your note handy and then call this number. <laughs> it still doesn't work. It doesn't work. It wouldn't work. I can't imagine that would. I mean, they, they just wanted that money. I call, I call these people back over and over. They never find the note. Yeah. Oh. I hope you're not in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting, all these different angles uh, of marketing these people. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that you can run postcards and, you know, and Jeff's strategies of all kinds of stuff, phone calls and emails and, and like Abby's tech person, I, I'm more into the tech world of collecting things automatically. And grandma doesn't like tech. You know, we've dealt with a lot of this 
grandma things are difficult, right? Uh, and feel free to post questions in the uh, chat box. Uh, Robin, I see your thing about saying to the letter to equity trust and basically got nowhere. Working with these IRA companies is really difficult um, because they're not allowed to disclose the information um, to anyone. It's, it's protected. So um, I don't know who you would mail it to or whatever, but it would never get back to that person. We um, look for um, that. We look for yeah. the, the individual whose name is in that header, mm -hmm. Ira Trust. So Bob Smith shows up, right? John Smith. And then I'll look for John Smith. And yeah. sometimes I can locate them yeah. and contact them directly. But we would never yeah. contact the trustee. Yeah, it, it's pointless. They're not going to even bother. Um, you definitely, if it's a strange or unique name, you can definitely find that. Uh, we use a website, advancedbackgroundchecks.com. It's free. You can check it out. And it's a kind of a free skip trace thing. Um, not the end all be all, but it's a kind of a way to get into it. So we're gonna dive now into, um, Tracy, the obstacles, the struggles, right? We finally get to go through the process. We got a hold of the seller. We targeted them, we mailed them, we got a hold of them. They're on the phone call or email, whatever. And then you get an envelope full of a bunch of numbers and dates. And you wanna take this loan in and this seller doesn't understand why you're buying it for a discount. Can you share a little bit about the, the misorganization, the poor illustrations, the uh, educating the seller of it, you know, them self-servicing it and collateral problems? Well, the first thing you hear is I'm not going to take a discount. <laughs> I, yeah, that's the first thing. Just everybody's going to say that, right? That they're just going to say that. So it's really about establishing rapport educating them on how the SIST process works. And you have to come down at the end of the day, they're gonna to have to have a need to sell. They're either moving towards something that they want something better, maybe an investment or they're doing something exciting. But a lot of times they have a problem and they need a solution to the problem. And so they need money for that. So you really have to listen to what it is they need. We always like to do a full and at least one partial offer so that they have a choice. They don't have to sell it all. We have options for them to sell it without taking discounts by selling some now and some later. Uh, but a lot of people don't want to do that, but some will. Uh, so, I mean, they can, everyone here can talk to this. There's definitely a process of explaining uh, a discount. And it's, you know, as much as I love my HP 12C, it's not about educating them on the time value of money. It's figuring out what their need is and solving yeah. the problem. I like it. I, that's the answer I hope you gave because most people want to solve the problem by, hey, how can we make this deal work? It's really understanding the person, right? You're, you're selling the person the opportunity to solve their problem, not buy something off of them. Um, someone's sick, someone injured, someone going to school, right? You're really selling them. Gabe, we, you mentioned before about some issues with collateral and things like that. Um, and I just posted the uh, link to that background check that I've used before. I, I like one of the posts you had was like, you got an envelope full of data and you're trying to give it to a servicer. My thought, my brain thought goes, if this goes to bankruptcy court, holy God, like how can you prove any of this stuff? So I'm curious, you know, how did you handle a servicer looking at an envelope and getting through that process. Oh no, I don't. I, I clean it all up before any servicer or attorney gets to view the file. Sometimes I will take all the miscellaneous uh, envelopes 
with the handwritten collection dates and amounts and I'll type it all into a neat spreadsheet, calculate the exact payoff amount, the exact reinstatement amount before I even attempt to transfer servicing or, or start a foreclosure. Um, I feel that that's just one of the services I'm offering when I'm buying this note. <laughs> How nice of you. And I want to know what I bought also. I want to know how much is owed exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah even even on uh, uh, not just the non-performing and the stuff that you do, Gabe, but even on standard, what we call standard, first position, you know, seller finance notes performing, um, we're, part of our, our duty, our job is to clean it up and make it presentable so that an investor will buy it or that so that we'll buy it and we could give it to a servicer and, and, and such like that. So we're not just handing over a bunch of information and letting someone else try to try to do it. Um, but yeah, I hope I didn't interrupt you there, Gabe. No, no, sometimes we literally get no information. It's just, oh. it's just, I lent, I lent this guy a hundred thousand dollars eight years ago. I've never received the payment. This is all I have. <laughs> Well, that's an easy payment history to verify. <laughs> What's your pay balance? I don't know. I can't find the note. I get it. That's that's yeah. it. Oh. Yeah. People call us. I ask them, so how much is owed? And they say, I don't know. <laughs> because they've never yeah. kept records. Oh my and God. I say, is, this, is the payment interest only? I don't know. So I, <laughs> can you just send me a photocopy of anything you have, please? Thank you. Does oh. that make sense out of it? So, you know, um, I know that, Abby, you jumped on uh, one of the comments here. Is, you know, you can perform a stop to verify the history. Can you share a little about that? We'll definitely sure. jump in next. Sure, sure. Um, so we buy one of our primary buying strategies. Um, no surprise, I would imagine. But, you know, some of our institutional and high net worth individual investors that only require a five, six, seven, eight percent yield, which, you know, depending on the asset uh, or, or return on investment, they're only looking to make that that percentage. Um, you know, credit score sensitivity comes into play. And when credit score sensitivity comes into play and the credit scores aren't good enough for these investors, those, you know, the cost of capital goes up because the investor pool changes, the, the offers go down, so forth and so on. We buy those we pounce on those uh, poor credit borrowers with good payment history. Now, it's, it's not verified good payment history. So what we do in a situation like that is we will have the seller perform, uh, you know, execute a payment history affidavit, you know, based on what they say that they received and sign it. And then we will then take a, uh, have a conversation with the borrower uh, and let the borrower know we're sending them what we call a loan confirmation, loan balance confirmation, otherwise known as an estoppel, basically saying that I, the borrower on this note, you know, do by swear that this is the balance, blah, 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 blah. And they sign that. And now we have from the borrower and the seller. So if it ever goes into a legal situation, yep. we now did everything we could to cover ourselves shy of having any copies of checks, uh, deposit slips, servicing records, anything like that. That's the I, I, from our, my experience, that's the best thing that we could do. I could be mistaken. There could be others, uh, uh, maneuvers that you can perform, but that's pretty, uh, um, straightforward on how we, you know, how we get well, over that. My favorite payment history is, um, you know, photos and Xerox copies of cash. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to just jump in. I had a business, 
Oh yeah, we had a business note, and the guy it was like a barbecue, and I was like, I need a copy of the down payment check, and he sent me a picture of cash on a table. <laughs> I was like, and a, on a lawnmower. There was a lawnmower in trade oh. as well, and I couldn't. Like, what can I? I can't do anything with this. And I, I was doing reverse images just to make sure he didn't pull it off of Google. <laughs> you know. <what> I mean? <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, my, I, I crack up because I'll ask somebody to send me a copy of a note and they'll put it on their bed and take a picture of it with their Next phone. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you like see all kinds it's of original, stuff. But it's like, I don't care what color your bedspread is, you know? Can you do it? <laughs> right. uh, but we do the same thing Abby does. I think it's pretty common. You start out asking for this. Scare, this is one of the things that scare people the most, I think, because we buy these notes that aren't serviced, that aren't used to seller financed. And it's like, how do you confirm the payment history? Yeah. So you start, you know, you start with your wish list. Well, so I wish for a copy of canceled checks. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay. I wish for a copy of your deposit statement showing the deposits going into your account. I don't, and uh, not lumped in with everything else. Like actually just the amount of the payment. That's what I wish for. Right. So I have this, this list of wishes and, you know, sometimes you get down to, you know, you're just recreating the uh, affidavit, the payment history affidavit that Abby mentioned, and then verifying it with the payer. And it all has to do with how much equity is there and how good is that borrower's credit score and, uh, you know, just what's the likelihood. So you kind of, you know, you start out with your wish list and depending on the quality of the transaction, you might back off that depending on where you are. But definitely an affidavit and, a, and an estoppel are two good ways to handle that, at, at least do that. And Jeff, how would you typically handle it? And, you know, my thought were, you know, We've been in a situation where bankruptcy court wanted a proof of, you know, payment history, and a picture of money, and a, you know, letters on an envelope that grandma kept don't really work well in bankruptcy court. Yeah, uh, I, there's so much going through my mind right now. I, I what was the original question? Um, <laughs> it, it is more like so. Back to, to Abby said we send out a, um, a payer, uh, the seller affidavit that they'll always sign it. But we'll also send out a, a uh, an estoppel for the payor, for the borrower, for the person making the payments to, to sign and, and agree to. They have no reason to cooperate. They may, we may never see that again, right? We may not get confirmation from the borrower that that is. And, and we have to just kind of take it on faith that, okay, we're trusting you that these payments were made. Um, I would say probably 70% of the time uh, we get the wish list, you know, that Tracy's talking about, we get the copies of the checks coming in. If someone presents us with, Hey, you know, I get cash every month. Hey, you know what? We're not going to close this till, till the next payment goes by when they pay next time, make them get you a money order. Cause they can't send me cash. So then they get a money order and, and then we get a copy. Okay. They paid that payment. They must be paying the other payments. Uh, I have uh, um, sometimes I'll even ask for a copy of the, uh, envelope that the check was sent in to make sure that they didn't write it themselves, the seller. So, you know, there, there is, there are sneaky things sellers try to do, but, but the, the wish list that Tracy mentioned and, and the things that we look for in a seller finance note um, are there for a reason. They're not there to, to piss off the brokers. They're not there to upset the sellers. They're there so that when we're buying a first position performing seller finance note, we want it to keep performing. That's why we're yeah. buying it. You know, and, and we want to check off all those boxes and make sure that that we can be as comfortable as we can with it um, and whether we're going to buy it or whether we're going to wholesale it or broker it off, uh, uh, like Abby was mentioning, too. Um, but uh, uh, they, they try all kinds of tricks and, and we have to do the best we can 
to protect ourselves. Um, and if it, if it came to a situation, I mean, knock on wood, I've only had two foreclosures in 30 years. Wow. Um, that's, that's a whole nother story. Um, I've, I've never been, knock on wood, I mean, this might be the year, but I've never had anyone uh, go to bankruptcy that, that was a payer on one of the loans that I bought. I've never had um, uh, uh, those kind of things happen. Now, have we had to modify notes when they when they've stopped making payments? Sure. You know, did we give some people relief because of COVID uh, last year? Yeah, we did. Um, and that was pretty funny because uh, three months later, two of them paid off. I gave them three months and then you get a payoff check. You're like, I thought you were making no money. How did that happen? <laughs> but can't that happen too, Jeff? It was the weirdest I thing. I mean, like, thank you, but... What's up with that? Yeah, you're just like, are you, you kidding buy, You buy them right. You know, you're in the thick of it, right? So There you go. Abby said it. it. Yes. And you, you buy them right. We've had, not, I'm not bragging because I, you know, knock on wood, not one issue with our entire in-house portfolio. Not one. Not one issue with our investors' in-house portfolio. Yeah. Um, we've had, I didn't even have a, a, a call, maybe one call on this whole COVID thing um, and a payoff, it, you know, it's, it, you know, so um, when you're in the thick of it, you're buying them right. You have, you're touching everything. You're seeing everything. You're buying them right. Abby, that, that is, that is so true. Um, you know, I, I get calls and emails all the time from, from people that have bought notes wrong. And if you buy them wrong, bad things can happen, you know, things can happen. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you, and that's, I try to stress that to everybody that, that I, I talk to about notes is that if you buy them properly, you will never ever lose your money. And that's the truth. If you buy them properly, uh, Gabe buys them at, at five cents on the dollar for that's a proper. second position, non-performing note that hasn't yeah. been paid on in 10 years. That might be a little too high. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Gabe yeah. knows, Gabe yeah. knows, right? But, but it might be worth one cent on the dollar, you know? Uh, uh, but when you buy them properly, uh, you should never ever lose your money. You will never ever lose your money. Yeah. It's when I got in started, we were buying around 35 cents on a dollar, you know, first institutional. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I look back now, I know exactly what I was doing, but I had no clue from the people I was working with for. Like, how can you buy this stuff? What is it all about? And I could have been, I could have been 50% wrong on the value of the property. And when you buy it right, it don't matter, right? You're in a situation where we're saying we're never going to pay over 40 cents. We'll never do that. But, and you bought it in a situation where it, no matter how bad it went, you're still making money. Mm -hmm. And I think most people miss on that, where they buy it with one strategy in mind that this is going to happen and I'm going to do this and this is what the borrower is going to do. And they forget these are human beings that have a life that's gone on. Um, and if you don't plan for the worst, you, you're really in a bad situation where you bought a performing note and you think it's always gonna be a good situation. It doesn't have to be the way. And a lot of borrowers may make a um, payment every other month. Maybe they're real estate you know, brokers and they're buying and selling assets or you know, work for companies. I think people, you're right. I think people most time take courses, go out and buy an asset and they say, I'm going to buy a performer and I'm going to get a, a great return. And they don't plan any other issues or problems with it. Um, and then they get to a servicer and all hell breaks loose, right? Yeah. So, you know, I hear a lot about educating the seller. What is something you had to teach? I'm going to start back with Abby and go back the other way. What is something you had to teach a seller of a note that was just kind of brain dumb or whatever, you know, what are you going to say that you just yeah. were surprised? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you, so just to clarify the question, you're asking what are you know bringing the seller into the light, so to speak, and letting them see how the, you know, I This is how I, I mean. Yeah. Basically, it doesn't always work because sometimes I get a little bit too technical. I, as Tracy had yes. mentioned, you do not mention time value of money. I know that all of the courses over the past thirty years have said, <laughs> well, "Tell them about the time a cup of coffee today is not worth the same." No, 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 no. You don't. You're, you're gonna lose them. Um, you know, as again, as Tracy, Tracy mentioned, they, they, they're not taking a discount. Well, after the third or fourth call in a lot of the cases, we'll, we'll get them on the phone or the, the communication back and forth. We get them on the phone and we explain to them what they have. Mr. Note seller, Mrs. Note seller, you know, you have this good payment history, the interest rate at 5%, not so great. You have, you know, 301 payments remaining, you know, uh, 25 years and one month remaining, a hell of a long time for return on investment and you got to understand that if someone were to come in and buy this note at 100 cents on the dollar they would only be making a five percent return there's a ton more deals out there you're not going to sell it because other people are selling it for 10 12 13 percent return and your guy or gal that was making the payments don't have good credit that comes into play mm -hmm. so you got, we have, there's a cost of capital that you can exit a, an investment two ways. You have an institutional exit or you have a private exit. The institutional exit, you're going to see higher offers, but they want you to jump through those credit hoops, those payment hoops. To, you know, you got to paint a real pretty picture on paper. And if you don't have those records, which we know you don't, because we established it here, here, and here, the return on investment, the going rate of capital out there is 12%. So there's a gaping hole between your five and the 12 that needs to be made in order for this thing to sell. And that usually, if they're listening, that usually will get them to go, oh, I see what you're saying. Some will say, but I'm still not taking a discount. <laughs> and others will say, okay, let's, let's, what's, you know, do, I, I break the, the, I, the uh, ice barrier. What do they call it? Like uh, um, uh, iceberg break. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ba basically just going through and they go, okay, well, I don't like the full, what's the other options? Now you at least have them talking yes. and moving in the right direction. And that's half the battle. Jeff, what would you say is the most common education you have to get to these sellers? It's right on that first phone call. It's right on the first phone call. And, and, and Abby hit it right on the head. Hey, what interest rate do you have on that note? 2%. Whoa. <laughs> what, are, what are you, a bank? Right. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you competing with banks here? I mean, why did you give them such a low interest rate? And you really harp on the negatives. Yeah. And you make them understand mm. that this note is not worth what you think it is. Right. Ooh, my underwriters aren't going to like that 2%. No way. You know, you should have gone to seven, eight, nine or something. Yeah. But, but that's too high. No, it's not. You're a seller. You're not a bank. Why are you yeah. giving up 2%? You know, right on that. Go ahead. What's up? I said they could have went to a bank for a loan that low. Why, you know? Well, no, they could. That's the whole could. point. They couldn't Correct. go. To a bank. They couldn't right. go. You can't so go to they... a bank and get two percent. Why did you give yep. it to them? Right. right. Yep. Yep. So, exactly. So it's right on that first phone call when we're going through the worksheet. We're building rapport. And we're on the phone for 25, 30 minutes with them, or sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, and, and really finding out about what they have. You're hitting those points. Why did you take zero down payment? Oh my gosh, who does that? Is this, I mean, you might as well have rented it, right? 2%. Oh my gosh, you're not a bank. And oh, you only got two payments and the first one didn't come for 15 days after that. I mean, this is not sounding yeah. good, dude, right? Yeah. I mean, this is what you're telling them on the phone. I, so you're working on those okay. negatives so that, that they, they get the sense that they're not going to get 
yeah. you know, a hundred cents on the dollar. And we may not even buy it at all. We really make them afraid that when we go to the underwriters and get the prices that we can come back at least with something, please, hopefully yeah. I can get something for you. Yeah. And I think most people it's, I love the fact you talk about the whole yield thing. I've had this conversation with students of gurus who don't get this whole idea. They're buying it based on UPB and they forget all about, you know, the yield number where they say, well, I'm going to buy it 70%, no matter what it is. And I try explaining them that if you're dealing with a 3% coupon or 9% coupon, that return's completely different because the coupon rate, your payment rate's completely different. And that 65% across the board doesn't work, right? So from if you're a buyer going through the courses and you've heard buy 65%, buy 70, please learn the math part of it. We did a whole video on that because the yield doesn't work. A 3% coupon, if you buy 100%, as Jeff just said, you're getting a 3% return to maturity, right? Unless you go to partial, which Tracy mentioned before. If you buy that same numbers at an 8% coupon rate, your yield is significantly higher. You bought that 100%, you're going to get an 8% return. So understand that buying, you're probably buying on yield, not buying based on percentage of UPB or percentage of BPO. We haven't mentioned it at all. We're buying it based on a yield or partial XIR kind of formula. So Gabe, what kind of education have you done with borrowers to, or sellers to help them understand the, the, the shift? Well, I wanna make it a little more basic to start with as far as the education. Way before we even talk about the terms, some of the questions I get from the people that call me from the letters and postcards say, you know, how did you get my address? Why did you send me a letter? Oh. I explained, oh, we're looking to add more loans to our portfolio. And I found you in the public records. And they said, oh, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know that was possible. And then the next question is, what do you mean you can buy my note? People can buy a note? You know, so you explain, wow. oh, yeah, we can buy it and you transfer the lien to us. And then another question is, how do I know I'm going to get my money if I send you the paperwork? So I assure them that we close through an attorney you know, to make them feel more comfortable. Those are, those are even before we talk about the terms, yeah. right? And then yeah. I start asking them questions. Do you have the note? <laughs> <laughs> a third of the time. No, I don't have the note. It's recorded in the county records. And I say, no. <laughs> no. I say, so Tracy, find the note or even a copy of it or something. <laughs> and Tracy, a lot of like conversations what... just end there. They can't find anything. And then I email them a month later, or call them. Oh, it's in a storage box a uh, oh. hundred miles from here that I haven't been to in a year. And then six months later, I call them again. Did you find the note? <laughs> no, I'm never finding the note. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> Tracy, I know, I know that we're talk talking about the terms. Huh? Yeah, I, I like what Tracy, I like what Gabe is saying is that this, before we talk about terms and numbers and explaining why you're doing what you're doing and that basic one phone call, they don't know about selling a note, right? They don't know about RESPA laws and all that kind of good stuff. Um, servicers, who the hell are them, right? What is that? How do you go about it? Is it soft? Is it, is it, you know, or are you buying, you know, is there assignments on some of these loans? What is your strategy of teaching that seller who is not used to selling this note, 
who definitely has a need to sell. Baby steps, you know, you just take them along the journey as you can. It, you, you know, yeah. Actually, people say, I just wish they call and they have the original note and they know their payment amount and they have all this lined up. And that's somebody who's been shopping. They've been around the block. So I don't get too upset at the ones who don't know because they haven't been exposed very much. So that means they're not shopping quite as hard and I have an opportunity to form a relationship and figure out the problem that they need to solve. And so, you know, I think with them, you, you just have to take it in steps. You can't, uh, you know, make them drink from a fire hose of everything. You've just got to get them along the way, but definitely figuring out where that original note is. I mean, we could all tell horror stories. I mean, doing it for 30, over 30 years. They, yeah, I got the note. Oh yeah, I got the note. Uh, and then they don't have the note. You're down to closing. It's the last thing you need. So it, it, it's definitely a process. I mean, and we've tried to figure out how to make it just seamless, but uh, I just think it's seller financing. If you don't have an appetite for not always knowing exactly what's going to happen, it's not the right business for you. <laughs> people are going to be people, right? And I think that that's a good segue into the fact that knowing you're getting into a space to buy seller finance notes, buying the note is the easiest part of it. It's the transfer of a mom and pop, grandma, grandpa, to transferring a piece of paper that they think is worth X and they have attached to the property typically. Tracy, when you bought these kind of assets, who are the typical sellers? Are they uh, heirs of properties? Are they real estate investors? What's a typical seller's situation with that property? We see it all across the board. So, I mean, we've bought notes where the seller has filed bankruptcy, not the payer, but the seller. And this is an asset of theirs. Um, we've bought them definitely out of estates that has been mentioned. We bought them because um, somebody was going into retirement facility. And this is an asset that they had to liquidate before they could get coverage through Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid. So, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. We do like working with repeat sellers because we can show them how to document a transaction so they can get 90, 95 cents on the dollar mm -hmm. instead of 50 cents on the dollar. So that is a goal to work with somebody more than once. And, and sometimes, yes, they have to document it differently and follow the MLO and the RESPA and that sort of thing. But that that's not so hard to show them how to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times it's just just a mom and pop seller, you've got to realize there's a lot of seller financing rural areas. Mm -hmm. So those individual note sellers, uh, a lot of it's in the rural areas. And sometimes those are good notes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're mobile home and land. Sometimes they're just land. Sometimes they're non-conforming properties that have an outhouse out back. I mean, there's, you just never know what you're going to get, yeah. but it's all out there. It's all part of the seller finance world. I'm um, just looking back at some questions here. What's the process of an LNA if the original note is missing? There is none. There well, is I, I actually, we have some solutions to that. I mean, an L, LNA would be lost note affidavit, but in the seller finance world, if the note is really lost, your best course of action, if you can, again, it's my wish list, you would go to the payor and have them sign a replacement note or take, if there's a copy of the note, sign it and say, um, I recognize the seller's lost it. I'm saying this is it. And I will honor this as the original note. And then you have the seller sign an affidavit like that as well. And so basically you've replaced the lost note. Uh, that is more usually preferred by most investors. 
I, it's not as common in the seller finance world to just have the seller, the holder of the note, sign a lost note affidavit. That's not as common. I know it's very common in the institutional paper world, yeah. but in the world of seller financing, it's not as common because it's uh, it, it's it's tricky. It's tricky to, to show I, that you own it. I, I beg your pardon. I may have misunderstood. I thought the question was, if there is no copy of the note, how do you perform? Like if you like right now, I have a deal, a second in Pennsylvania where the seller went into bankrupt went into bankruptcy and now they're selling off the asset and the the fiduciary whoever custodian doesn't yep. have the uh, even a copy of the note let alone the original so we're stuck we don't know what to yeah. do at this point that's what i thought the question was is if anyone has any insight i'm all ears <laughs> that's an <laughs> interesting one and yeah. also understand that most some states don't allow copy right even no no affidavit you know, doesn't allow that inside there, you know, Pennsylvania is another state where a lost note affidavit doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful where you get these things. I would think typically what I would do, I mean, come from this world, is I would just try to do a modification where I can just come somehow, some way, get someone to sign a document and go, hey, a new mod came up and give them a little better terms to convince them, hey, here's my UPB. Oh, okay, great. That's how I would think about doing it from my perspective. We, we do quite a few. We do quite a few lost note affidavits um, here on the non-performing loans in California, and we're, we're good with it. If there is a copy of the note, uh, a legitimate looking copy of the note, um, but if there is no copy of the note, we cannot start a foreclosure here, and that's our primary collections technique on the non-performing loans, so we can't buy it unless there's a, at minimum a, a copy of the note. At we minimum, do. right? Yeah. So, I, Gabe, as, as, as I asked Tracy, what typical person is this person who's selling a note? Is it the mom and pop? Is it a heir? Of, you know, the kids of a deceased person? Is it um, a real estate investor? Most of the time, it is someone that sold their house to someone else and carried a second because the person didn't have enough at closing or did not have. A down payment. And this was pretty common in the late 2000s here in California, where people were just selling houses and buying them with nothing down. Yeah. And we're still buying those seller finance seconds because those things stopped paying as soon as the market declined yeah. in 2009. Yeah. So there's still a lot of bad papers that we're buying. Yeah. Jeff, yourself? Uh, yeah, the uh, the typical note seller. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, it, it's all across the board, as Tracy mentioned. I mean, from from uh, rehabbers and fix and flippers, we used to buy notes from in the '90s, just consistently repeat sellers uh, back then in the, in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, to uh, I, I'm going to say most of my uh, note holders, and this is not just on single family homes. This is on single family. It's on commercial. It's on land. It, are uh, are older, are 55 and older, um, have owned one property or two properties in their entire lifetime. It's the only asset they've ever had. They sell it and they carry back a note, which is now the only asset they ever have. And now we want to buy it at a discount. But the typical, I don't, there really isn't a, a typical, I, I, the only typical I can get out of, out of all the the people that I've ever talked to, um, all the thousands and thousands of calls and and uh, uh, and notes, um, are that they're they're older. 
they've they've owned a property for years and years and years. They they had it most of the time free and clear. They sold it and they carried back their note. Um, so I'm going to say 55 and up. Uh, but uh, it's really all across the board now. You know, we've got we've got um, kids selling their their a note their parents had in their inheritance. We've got um, estate planners trying to clean up someone's financials and and they got trying to get them to sell the note. You got bankruptcy attorneys trying to sell its notes uh, to get the people out of bankruptcy. We got, I mean, it's it just it, it just the list goes on and on and on. Um, and uh, to kind of piggyback the answer on a previous question uh, is these people are not going to just sell at a discount. They've got to have a need, right? They, they, there's got to be some underlying need of why they picked up that phone and called you, why they filled out your online worksheet. They've got to be thinking about something in their head. And that's our job to get through to them to say, hey, trust me enough to tell me what you're looking for. And I'll let you know if we can help you. You know, might be the uh, book. I'm not sure if everyone read it. That never split the difference book. Never split the difference was a great market. It was a negotiating book, FBI guy, and it was talked about that. It's not why. Is what about situation is motivating you? How would it feel like? What would you do if I gave you this money today? What would it? What would you do with it? And you find well that I would go and pay my medical bills off. You immediately have a situation where you're. What is? What is the? What is the past me purchasing do? And I think that's a key thing right now. Um, so I know that that it's uh, yes. So yeah, never split the difference is the book uh, that I if you can't haven't read it before, it's an awesome book. I've read it twice so far because there's so many insights about how to work with individuals. He's a high level FBI guy. You know, Abby, I know you you dwindle into the the seller finance world and stuff like that. What has been your experience with these different sellers? has been their biggest why what what has been their motivating factor you've seen that is something you can if someone goes i don't know you could throw out there as, as a, a suggestion for them to think about so just to clarify there what what's their biggest why and that the, the most common biggest why out there is from what i see in my you know what uh 14 years in this uh, space, which is, you know, half of the time, less than half of the time, some of the other panelists um, is they are between a rock and a hard place. I, I, that's the best way I can explain it. it there, there's a whole, you know, rainbow of hues that come across in that, mm -hmm. that, that basket. But there's the, the re, you know, I get um, they are between a rock and a hard place. It is usually, it comes in waves and it comes, it's not seasonal, it's almost cyclical. Like for instance, wow. uh, we'll see a ton of rehab flippers for, you know, again, these are the digital wide yep. nets and the, the sniper nets that were you know, not necessarily, I'm, I'm talking about the wide net. The wide net can't, I mean, it, it, we pull everything in from asset managers at PNC to Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Smith in Mississippi that have to go to the library to use the internet. To send <laughs> I mean, we have yeah. all different oh. types of, uh, uh, of folks coming across, but the, the, the traditional seller finance mom and pop seller is they're looking to sell because they want to uh, downsize. They're looking to, and, you know, they, they, you know, I'm 77 years old and I'm not going to live for another 30 years. I want to give this money to my kid, you know, or I want to do something with this money. We hear that a lot. We hear investment opportunity a lot. Um, especially with COVID, that's all we've been hearing is investment opportunity. 
-hmm. And, you know, we get into, uh, you know, I want cash on the sidelines. So when the whole world goes on sale, I can, you know, jump in without having to wait for an underwriting process to refi my house. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's a tremendous amount of different reasons. uh, But the, the, the long and the short of it is, is that they've tried all 95% of them have tried all avenues and then have landed in our lap for one reason or another, because their back is against the wall or they think their back is against the wall. Wow. Abby. Yeah. You're a poet, dude, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I tell you what, I I mean, that's it. And and that rock in a hard place is the need. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, it, it is such there, there's a lot of them out there that, that don't need. Um, but uh, when this COVID thing hit last year, business yeah. has been out of control. I'm out so of control. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. so busy. It's um, uh, people need money to pay their freaking bills right now. I mean, yeah. it, if that's what it comes down to and government's not giving it to them and they don't know if they're getting their jobs back. They don't know if they can go back to work. And if they do, they have to do all these other things. And and who has the money to get those things so they can't go back to work? And And it's just... People are people are wanting money, um, and we're seeing uh, we're seeing quite a few calls on commercial notes from five years ago and six years ago and ten years ago, saying, "Hey, uh, they haven't been paying their payments now." I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, let, let's let's see what we can do for you." Um, but no, no one's really even talked about that. Is is the commercial space? We talk a lot about resi- residential, but in the commercial space, there's a lot of seller. Not maybe not as much as seller as residential. Um, but, but we see quite a bit of rural area commercial stuff mm. coming across our desk and they're like, they had to close their restaurant. They can't pay their mortgage. I'm like, and, and you want me to buy it? Let, let's talk about it. Where is it at? Uh, uh, where was this one? Uh, this little tiny town in Montana, uh, pillars, pillars, something Montana. And I was like, oh my God, it's a town of 200 people. You know, and you're just like, and you want me to buy a hundred thousand dollar note on a, on a restaurant that's not even in operation that's vacant right now, you know? And I'm like, I, I, I got permission to talk to the borrower and they're like, yeah, when we can start back up, we'll start paying again. I'm like, okay. So I gave the guy an offer of 10 cents on the dollar, you know, mm. just in case I, I don't want to go to Montana and foreclose on some commercial property and try to sell it to 199 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, I mean, uh, but, but oh we're you know yeah. getting off track but but what abby was saying the rock in a hard place and it might only be one out of ten people that are in a rock in a hard yep. place yeah you know uh still a big numbers game that needle in a needle stack yeah and there it's the perceived rock in a hard place because when yeah. they start they start talking you're like well it's not really that bad you know i i'm i'm i am not the type of person that's going to give this person every excuse in the book you know, once we get past that hard conversation, the 2% interest rate and, oh, by the way, did you finance this to a relative or a friend? How come you didn't charge them a down payment or a 2% interest rate? You know, or, you know. So once we get beyond that, I, I always uh, represent to the seller that I am not the type of person, this company that you're dealing with is not the type of company that's going to give you every excuse in the book or reason not to do our job. We're going to really try to go over and above um, you know, our, our ability to, to leave a good taste in your mouth when you walk away because we know you're selling at a discount. But this is why this makes sense, at least what we're seeing based on what you're telling us. Um, but there is a, just for everyone out there looking to get into this. And I, I, I spoke about this quite a bit. There is a tsunami of assets that are going to hit the market in the commercial space in 21. Um, it's going to be it's already I'm 
driving through here, in, as I mentioned, I'm in Palm Springs. We've been, for the most part, out in the wilderness, so to speak, in the middle of nowhere for the past 10 weeks. And I really come through Cathedral City here outside of Palm Springs. And it, I'm not going to lie, it, it looks a little bit like Soviet Russia in the 80s with a lot of the commercial shutdown. It, it's, it's a little bit unnerving um, because it, it's sad. It, it really is sad. But these assets are either going to be transformed into seller carry notes for whatever reason, or there's going to be a ton of seller carry notes hitting the commercial space, which are going to be purchased and repurposed and innovated uh, for a new economy in the future. So we're looking forward to that. But there's an opportunity right there. It's interesting you guys say that because in my years of doing this, we never saw a lot of commercial. I mean, we even the asset tapes we got from different funds and commercial, even multi-use buildings, just nothing we ever came across. I'll get from a broker here and there, but I agree with you guys. There's going to be a huge pile of this because of what's happened. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to just jump into some of the questions here. Sure. And I see Jeff doing his good job at, of uh, answering them. Um, and I think, you know, I asked this earlier, what percentage of these assets you're buying are CFDs versus notes? Um, Tracy, what is what do you think your breakdown is where it's a contract for deed versus a seller finance note? That depends on the state where you're marketing because some states don't use them at all um, mm -hmm. and some states do. So if you're in Michigan, you're going to see a lot more than if you're in Texas, right? So that that really is a product of what of what the state is, but it's a smaller percentage. I mean, if you had to pick a number, I'd say less than 10%. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think, yeah. Jeff, Abby? That's right. That's right. 10%. Yeah. I'm a um, big CFD fan. I just don't like the, I don't like the, that instrument of just because it just it's not clean for me, right? Um, I'm seeing another question was, and I think Jeff, you answered it, like, you know, if you can give one sample of, of marketing, what would it be? And I think you guys all answered that question of, there isn't one, right? There, You have to hit from different angles. And one is not phone calls, emails, postcards, mailers, you know, door knocks sometimes, all are different ways you can get a hold of these people. Um, and I'm just going down some of the lists um, what I'm going to do, some people have asked also is if you could put your contact information, whatever the best one is for you, into the chat box, um, just whatever public way you want to share who people can reach out to you. Um, I'm getting some awesome feedback that they really enjoyed the, the conversation we're having tonight. Um, even though this Sunday evening for everyone else, I'm going to wrap it up just a few minutes. Um, I think for everyone learning this is that those who are in notes, like myself and all that, we want to get into this world because we find there's an angle here that we're not seeing or haven't seen a lot of. But what we're hearing now is that it's as different as it is, it's not the clean cut. Um, it's similar to those people who are calling banks up to find product from bank asset managers and going, oh, that's a great way of doing it because gurus are all talking about it. Um, and the angle is that you're not going to get supply. B, if you do get any supply, it's going to be crazy stuff. I heard churches and schools and stuff like that where it's just not clean residential. Um, so you're really going to lose out. With this Wild West, what would you say, obviously the returns are pretty good. What are you typically buying a performer asset range-wise, right? Are you buying it at a, at a you know, at a, at eight percent, are we buying at higher returns? Because the institutional loans are ranging in between eight and twelve. I'm seeing from our purchasing abilities. Trace, what would you say your, where would you say, around about the most common question we get, 
you're buying these performing loans at, at a yield? It depends on the attributes of yeah. the note. It depends on the equity and the credit and the interest rate and the term. Yeah. And so you bring me a 0% note and uh, 30 years, I'm going to be you know under 50 cents on the dollar. You bring me a note with a 680 credit score and 20% down payment and uh, uh, over $100,000 balance, I can get 95 to 97% from an institutional buyer. So it, it is so all over the board. I mean, we, we test everything against um, investment to value limits, uh, yield, and then a certain amount of discount that we want to make. Yeah. And I think what most people don't realize is if there's 10 payments left versus 10 years of payments left, that changes the price dramatically, right? It, buying a loan with a year of payments left, there's nothing to be making on it. You have to buy oh, I, like, I like the ones with interest only uh, <laughs> payments and it's going to balloon two years and they didn't put any money down. Those are my favorite. Love it. Love it. You got to build that in 20 cents on the dollar, Mr. Notar. <laughs> Get yourself a deal. There, oh, Gabe no. will be buying those uh, in a couple of years. <laughs> I like it. I'll be Gabe. Where's your email, Gabe? Okay, we got Gabe's email now. Uh, send it to him. So, you know, I think one of the things that Tracy mentioned too, and it's awesome situation is buying the parcels guys if you're going to get into this business understand what parcels is i'm not going to go into defining it but it's a way to make a deal happen for a borrower where the numbers don't work to buy the entire loan you can buy a partial you found their why they need five grand to buy a property they live in their bulk, the backyard to buy a rental property hey listen instead of me buying the entire thing i'll give you five thousand dollars now for this x amount of payments and they can get some of the money out of this note um that's an angle that most people don't even explore, even in our institutional yeah. world. Uh, so, Abby, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna. Oh, god! I was gonna say Jeff is the um, the, the the professional on this one. No, no, no. He, yeah. No. <laughs> I was gonna say he knows. He, he, so, just to clarify, partials are a very good way. You know, you you want to make sure that you let them know that they not only can they sell the entire note, but they can sell a portion of the note and. Uh, you know, that that's a, a very powerful thing. If you're not pushing <laughs> pushing the partial, then you're not doing your job. And I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Good, sir. Go ahead, oh, Jeff. What was your comment oh, about it? No, I'm laughing at Abby uh, uh, with his link to his, uh, his uh, article. Oh, um, yeah. So, so, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, guys, there, there's what? There's like, Tracy, 29 ways to buy a note? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got 18 I know, one time. I know but... 29 ways to buy a note. Okay, and, and well, buying the whole note just just fifty one ways way. to leave your lover. There's got to be fifty ways to buy a note. <laughs> exactly. I know 50. of yeah, and I know of twenty nine ways uh, for sure. And too many people focus on the full purchase. Uh, seven out of ten deals I close are partials. Wow. You know, they, they called me and they need money because they lost their job because of COVID. I, I'm buying two years of payments yeah. or something just to give them some money now. Yeah. It's and, better uh, for them too. It's a better deal for them. Yes. It really is. Yeah. Bite-sized portions. And you can also, if you're wholesaling or brokering um, or, or, you know, referring, you can, <laughs> oh, you, that? Oh. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or you can, you can basically, you know, there, there could be more. So if they take, you know, uh, a shot at a partial and then they, you know, we've had multiple uh, income streams or multiple wholesale fees over many, many different years from the same note because they would come back and sell more payments and sell more payments and sell more wow. payments. You can, you know, make, you know, uh, bite-sized portions yep. of, of wholesale fee, as well as, you know, provide them with bite-sized portions of cash, 
which could really turn around quickly. As you know, you know, the underwriting process occurs the first time around. The second time they come back for cash, they can have it in their account in 72 hours, uh, you know, from requesting as long as we get a BPO on the uh, uh, you know, BPO done on the uh, place. Make sure it's still. And I, we won't get into this, but, I, you know, I'm always curious how people write their parcels up of, you know, if it de if it defaults during that period of time. Um, just those who are watching, listening, reach out to these guys about how they do it. Everyone does that a little differently um, that if it's not performing, what do you do? How do you handle it? Buy it back. And typically people give three options or so what they would do in a scenario like that. But I'm not going to go into it tonight. This has been a killer night, man. Uh, one of my favorites. I think it, you guys, for you guys, I couldn't have picked a better crew of people to spend <laughs> my night with. Um, I know some people are distracted by football. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I, I really enjoy you guys. I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, awesome time with you guys. Uh, if you have any parting words or anything you want to, you know, pitch what you got going on, Tracy, I'll let you go start first. If anything you want to pitch or share with everyone about what you're doing or uh, how they can reach out to you or anything going on with you, feel free to go ahead about your expo as well. Yeah, thanks. So we do have, my husband and I put on Cashflow Expo once a year. So that's cashflowexpo.com and it's uh, three days and 30 speakers and it's free to watch live. And then we have very affordable recordings if you want those as well. So it looks at all the different aspects of the note business and uh, various aspects of just generating cash flow. Not everybody's in the note business, although a big portion of them are. I think that I, in closing, I just like to say that uh, there is a lot of opportunity coming to help people. That's really how I look at it. And I've had some time to come to terms with like, you're making money off of people in need. And that sometimes you're like, how mm. do I feel good about that? And I'll tell you the how you do it is that you are helping them solve a problem. Mm. You didn't cause that problem for them, but you are helping them find a solution when they sometimes don't think they have one. So I really think coming forward in 2021 and 2022, there's going to be an opportunity to help people that are in need and they're helping to solve their problem. And always keep that in mind too. That's why we always are fair and any kind of fee structure we take, we're not out to take advantage of them, but, but make a fair profit and, and help them solve their problem. And I think that there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for that in the, in the coming years. That's awesome. Gabe, are you speaking anywhere? What's going on yourself? How can people reach out to you? Uh, the best way to reach me is email gabe at surfcityinvestors.com. Uh, if you ever have any questions about non-performing loans, I'll be happy to help out or even buy them. Uh, for people thinking about getting into the buying of seller finance notes, just remember that you really need to market consistently and spend a lot of time following up with the leads and don't underestimate how much time it's gonna take the follow-up part. Um, but some of the best investments we've ever had were from following up over and over and over and over. So it can be quite painful, but it can be quite rewarding at the same time. And yourself, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I piggyback on both Gabe and Tracy's comments. Um, I. Uh, uh, I used to go speak in once a month at various places and that's not happening anymore. I'm, I'm barely getting used to this zoom thing. And, and to tell you the truth, I'm so busy buying notes right now. Uh, I'm kind of glad I'm not traveling because uh, it, it's, it's been very busy and I, I see it's going to get busier. I, I really think that's going to, uh, it's going to be a, a banner year. I had my best year last year uh, in the last eight years. So um, it, it's, it's going to be phenomenal. It is phenomenal. 
if you know what you're doing. Um, for those of you that are still listening here, don't get all confused and, and go right to the partial stuff. I mean, there's so much more. Just get your marketing down. I, I've got a one-page uh, marketing uh, um, uh, form that, that I help people with. Um, just go to my website, armstrongcapital.com. Click on Note Brokers. There's a, a wealth of information, free information there for you. I do have some resources. There is my free weekly email newsletter that you can sign up for. Uh, that goes out every Wednesday morning. And uh, when you have specific questions, you know, free, free, feel free to, to email me and I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as you can. You can ask any of them, Gabe, Abby, Tracy. I mean, yeah. uh, we respond. We'll respond if you email us. And, and that's the name of the game. It's such a small community of people mm -hmm. here. Um, it, it's really nice to see you, Tracy. I mean, kind of live and Abby <laughs> and, Gabe yes. and, and David, it's, yeah. uh, thanks for having us on. Uh, uh, let's, next time, let's not do a Sunday night, all right? <laughs> yes, yes. I know, uh, maybe I'll work on the weekends. My kids yeah. are like, what are you doing, Dad? What are you oh, doing? no, we're working. I wrote two yes. articles today and stuff and things like that. But, but you know, we're not working, working. Yeah. <laughs> Abby, do you have anything you guys got going on right now, Abby? Anything coming up? And I'll share what we have as well at the end here. Do you have anything you're, you're pitching so or selling? Uh, we're not the only thing I'm selling is money. I can I can buy notes. <laughs> I, I can yep. buy us so, too. You know, we, have, we so you know Jeff and uh, Tracy and, Amer and my company myself Abby and Amerinote. Mm -hmm. We provide a lot of the same services. Uh, Gabe has a very specific uh, niche where he's operating within. I, I want to just be very clear. We we you know the the, the folks on this panel have been. Uh, you know, pillars of the note buying, seller finance, note buying community, as they have mentioned for decades. Um, mm -hmm. We are, you know, we operate in the same space. We all provide that same service and I'm sure the same level of, of, of customer service and experience where, where Marinote exchange comes in, does things a little bit differently is we will touch the hairier, you know, we also, we dabble in institutional. So we, we're not just seller financed. Uh, we dabble in institutional, we dabble in, yeah, uh, so, you know, uh, non-performing seconds, uh, notes that pass statute of limitations. You know, we can do a business notes, um, you know, so we can do a plethora mm. of different types of assets. Um, so if there's something that uh, is, comes across your desk, like a church note or something weird uh, that, that others won't touch, you know, by all means, please feel free to reach out to us because we can, really dig in and provide some solution there for you. Awesome. And for us, we have a beginner's course we have going on right now. I have a bid calculator out there. Um, we have a couple of products where we can automate due diligence, collect data points for stuff. But I think what everyone's really come down is getting involved in networking with everyone in the space and taking a little bit about from everyone. Everyone's experience and knowledge came from their own experience and what they've heard of. So I have tools, I have software, I have resources, directories. Some are free, some aren't. You're going to pay for some of the information you're going to get, and some information is going to be free, right? Just understand that the bigger picture here is networking and reaching out to other people and communication. So, guys, with that said, I am excusing you for the night. Enjoy your <laughs> evening. Thank enjoy you. your time, your family, guys. And, Abby, enjoy your travel, man. I appreciate Thank you coming you. on. No, and I uh, look great, man. So, yes, thank you. I right, really thanks, appreciate you having us. Thank you. Yes. All right, guys. I appreciate you guys. Have a great night, everyone. Enjoy football the rest of the night. Thanks, bye -bye. guys. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you a lot. Bye.